Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to our Sermon Recap Podcast. This week we're going to hear from our Family Ministries pastor, Frank Lucas, as he reminds us we were created to live a life of blessing out of which everything else flows. Let's take a listen. For those of you that don't know me, uh, my name is Frank Lucas. Uh, I have the privilege of serving here along with my wife Katie. Uh, we're family ministry. We've been coming here for like 10 years or so, and uh, we just love being a part uh, of this community. And I am privileged and honored and humbled, um, and uh, I would even venture to say blessed to be able to serve this message with you today. As so often it does, it comes in a very timely point uh, in my life. Uh, our, we, we plan a lot of things out um, pretty well in advance, and we have sermon series and different things ready to go for a little bit, and I knew I was sharing this morning for a while, and uh, well, lo and behold, this week uh, I was tested and tried and uh, given a lot of great examples for this morning, so lucky you. And uh, so today we are going to continue on in our series, Hide and Seek, where we uh, notice that we live in a world uh, where now more than ever it's become easier and easier to point out the faults in others than it is to look in the mirror. Right? And, and as I was thinking about this, it's, we find it so much easier to look out a window and to gaze through a window than it is to look in a mirror. So much easier. It's easier to correct than it is to be corrected. It's easier to correct than it is to receive correction. It's easier to curse than it is to bless. And this morning, that's what we're going to be talking about. We're talking about specifically blessing and cursing. Now, I don't want to be too presumptuous, so I will speak for myself. And if this is you, feel free to just... Let it sink in. However, I know that uh, as I scroll through my feeds, my social media feeds, as I scroll through my phone, as I flip through the news channel morning and night, as I sit down to watch a good drama or sitcom, or I sit to watch a movie on Netflix or uh, Amazon, as I overhear conversations in the coffee shop or even in the supermarket getting ready to check out, uh, what I'm finding myself experiencing, the things I hear, the things I feel uh, the things I experience uh, is really a lot of cursing. A lot of cursing in the world around us. We live in a world and a culture that is absolutely full of cursing, full to the brim. And uh, we're a little light on blessing. We're, we're a little light on blessing. Uh, I think up here in southeastern New England, I don't like to throw that line out there very often, but uh, man, <laughs> we're light on blessing. Drive through, drive through Providence. We are light on blessing. And, and I don't want to pretend for a moment as if we are not part of that. All right, again, being a little presumptuous, um, so I'll, I'll speak maybe just for myself. I know that I'm a part of that. Uh, I'll, I'll own it. I'm a part of that. I add to this, to this issue. And, and, and so some of you may have saw the message title if you looked at your bulletin this morning, and it simply says cursing. There's a good part. We're going to talk about blessing too. Uh, it says cursing. And, and a few of you may have thought, I'll skip out because I don't curse. Um, well, here's the thing. Sit tight. Cursing is not cussing. Different thing. Cursing is not cussing. All right? You can celebrate and bless someone with a cuss word. It sounds odd, but think of a sporting event. That was bleepity bleep awesome. Right? I promised Brandon I wouldn't swear in church, so I'm not going to. But that bleep, right? Like, there's, like that's awesome. Right? That, that's, like, we, we, we can bless someone. We can be excited. We can celebrate through a cuss. In the same way, we can use encouraging words to curse. Oh, bless her heart. Right? Any Southern people in here? All right? Oh, bless that little girl. Bless her heart. Bless her soul. What are we, we're, not, we're not like 
we're not encouraging them. We're like, man, that was stupid. You know, like we're like, that was a really bad decision. Bless her soul. Bless her heart. Right? And, and, and so what are we doing? Cursing and cussing are not the same thing. And it's vitally important for us to understand this. John Ortberg, uh, a pastor that I love listening to, an author that I really enjoy reading, says this in his book, Soul Keeping. I, if this doesn't make you think, I don't know what will. I used to think cursing someone meant swearing at them or putting a hex on them. So it was pretty easy to avoid because I don't swear much or do hexes. But as I listened to Dallas, I re, uh, realized how wrong I had been. You can curse someone with an eyebrow. You can curse someone with a shrugged shoulder. I've seen a husband curse a wife by leaving just the tiniest delay before saying, of course, I love you. The better you know someone, the more subtly and cruelly you can curse them. Let that one sink in for a moment. Blessing and cursing are an essential, an essential, central theme of our lives, throughout our lives, from the time we're kids to the time we grow old. Blessing and cursing are also centrally thematic, a central theme that runs throughout the Bible, from the very beginning all the way through the end. Blessing and cursing are simply the way we treat people. It's the way we interact with people. And the way we treat others is a reflection of our heart. It always comes back to the heart. The problem with the heart is the problem of the heart. So, so this morning we're going to take a look at blessings and cursings, and we're going to start in the very beginning. So with that, let's dive in. We're going right Genesis 1, the very beginning. There's a Bible in your seat if you want to follow along. We are going to jump around a little bit this morning. Some of it will be on the screen. But if you don't have a Bible, uh, that is your gift to us so that you know we are preaching from it. And we pray that God's Word blesses you. Um, so that being said, Genesis 1, uh, verse 27, it says this. So God created human beings in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. Two things in that. Um, created in His image tells us twice. God created them tells us twice. I think He's trying to tell us something. Okay? Then, God, what does he do? He, oh, what does God do? Then God, this is where you come in, he blessed. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. God blesses them and says, be fruitful and multiply. Before God ever sent man and woman out into the world to work and to govern the creation, what does he do? He blesses them. God blesses before he sends this is vitally important for us to understand. God doesn't wait for us to start serving before he equips us. He doesn't wait for us to start serving before he blesses us. That's not how we're created. God has given you every gift, every ability, everything you need to do, everything you're called to do in this very moment right now. He's already blessed that. From the very beginning of time, he blessed them and sent them out. You are blessed. You are ready. Yet, we're all sitting on our hands waiting to get our hands dirty uh, because we feel like we're not ready. That's just not how it works. That's simply not how it works. God blesses before he sends. We're created to live a life of blessing out of which everything flows. So if we take a, work, uh, a look at the word blessing real quick, in Hebrew see it's barak. It means this, to speak the intention of God. In Greek, eulogia. Eulogia. And what, what that is, that's where we get the word eulogy from, a word that we use at funerals quite a bit. It's to speak the intention or favor of God on someone. 
And then Dallas Willard says it like this, blessing is simply this, it's the projection of good into the life of another. From the very beginning, God blesses. He's projecting his goodness, his will, his favor on us. But we all know the story. God blesses us and sends us. We go out and what happens? It breaks. Sin enters the world because we seek blessing apart from God. We seek blessing apart from God. We think we know better. We try to be creator over our lives. We think that we can be a better God than God can. And, and so the world is broken. And because of sin, we now live a life that is filled with cursing. And if you spend some time actually studying these texts, what you'll find is that God doesn't bless man, uh, excuse me, curse man and woman. What he does is he curses the world in which we live. Am I suggesting that we are without sin? Absolutely not. We've all sinned, all fallen short of the glory of God. We're all broken. We're all in need of a Savior. Every single one of us. No one is the exception to the rule except for Jesus Christ. That is not what I'm saying. What I am saying, what I am suggesting is this, is that at the very foundation of, our, of creation, at the very foundation of the world, there, there's this fracture. There's a fracture. It is broken. It is broken. And, and we are not cursed. We simply live in a cursed world. And instead of living a life from blessing out of which everything flows, we have an innate tendency because of that fracture to live a life of cursing out of which everything flows flows. And it becomes a cyclical pattern. It becomes generational. Hurt people have a tendency to hurt people. Hurt people have a tendency to hurt people. And then what do those hurt people do? They hurt people. And then on and on and on we go. Instead of living a life of blessing, we live a life of cursing. And cursing reveals itself in, in the world around us a variety of different ways. We're going to look specifically at a couple uh, through sin, we're going to look through cutting language, wounding, lying, idolatry, and addiction. So this morning, if we took a look at sin for a moment, there are moments in our lives where we trade the promises and blessings of God for the momentary pleasures of sin. We make a choice. We choose the momentary pleasure of sin over the blessing and promise of God. We live a life filled of cursing when God so desperately wants us to live a life of blessing. And we're missing out because of decisions that are made in moments of weakness. Sin. Cutting language. We live in a culture that's careless. Careless with its words beyond, beyond we care to imagine. John Tyson writes in his book, uh, The Burden is Light, a thoughtless word can become the splinter in the soul that if infected with the lies of the enemy can produce lives of pain and despair. Splinter in the soul. Words are powerful. And what was intended to be powerfully good became powerfully dangerous when the world fractured. You've all heard phrases like, you'll never amount to anything. You're no good. You're fat. You're ugly. You're too skinny. You're not big enough. You're too small. I wish you were more like them. I wish you were more like your brother. I wish you were more like your sister. Oh, Mom, I wish you were more like Dad. Or Dad, I wish you were more like Mom. Why can't you be like so-and-so's Mom and Dad? Like, words hurt. Words hurt. The list goes on and on. And these phrases, what do they do? They play in the back of our minds every day. On repeat. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. And not only do the words we speak have the ability to hurt others, 
they have the ability to haunt the person that speaks them as well. The author of the word is often haunted by the phrase. Monday night, 1998, February 23rd, I was working on a project, working on a compact computer. It was huge. And um, my dad wanted to help, and we got into a big argument because I wanted to do it on my own. And uh, got to a huge argument, and I said, Dad, just leave me alone. And he did. I went up to bed, I woke up in the morning, and he had died. The last words I ever said to my father were, leave me alone. The last words he ever heard were his son saying, leave me alone. I carry that burden every day. That plays in the back of my head every morning, every night before I go to bed. I can't get rid of that wound. Wounding. A few years before my father died, I was wounded, not, not in a physical way, emotionally. Uh, another story. I, I came home from school one day. I was about 10 years old. It was uh, April or May. I remember the spring. And I was expecting to get off the bus and to see my dad's little red Chevy Cavalier parked out in front of the chestnut tree as it is every other day. And it wasn't there that one morning, or excuse me, that one afternoon. And um, usually he's sitting on the porch. He was smoking a cigarette with a cup of coffee. Not the best thing in the world, but whatever. That's what he did. And uh, anyway, he wasn't there, uh, but my mom was there. And that was odd because she worked 11 to 7 and was usually asleep when I got home from school. So I knew something was wrong. I walked up to the, uh, the porch. I put my bag down and I sat in the rocking chair next to her. And I said, Mom, what's going on? She said, Frank, I need to talk to you about something. I said, all right, Mom, what's going on? And uh, she says, listen, she's like, I don't know if you know this or not, but your, your dad has uh, uh, an addiction. And... Uh, yeah, he has a problem with drugs, and uh, specifically narcotics. I don't think she used that word because I wouldn't have known what it was, but she gave him an ultimatum. She said he could choose family or choose his drugs. So the wound that I carry that's covered over years and years of scar tissue is that my father chose a high over me. Chose, my father chose a high, a momentary pleasure. That's a wound that I carry around, and it affects so many things. It affects the way I see people. It affects the way I interact with people. I want people so desperately to value me. I'll do almost anything to make them love me because I'm terrified of them choosing something over me. It sneaked into my marriage. It sneaked into work. It sneaked into my friendships. I carry that. I constantly feel as though I'm not good enough because I wasn't good enough for him. Lies. Lies have a way of sneaking in, preventing us from realizing who it is we are in Christ. We live in a world that's filled with idolatry, we believe that money, power, security, the right address, the right car, the right look is going to serve us, but the truth is we end up serving them. What we idolatrize to make us whole actually creates a giant chasm between us and God. What we use to fill the gap makes the gap even wider. Addiction, not just drugs, not just alcohol, not just nar like a narcotic, like what I was talking about a minute ago, not just pornography, whatever it may be. It could be YouTube. It could be shopping, it could be golfing, it could be QVC, it could be Netflix, it could be Amazon, it could be eating, it could be anything. 
It could be anything. Addiction, addiction is anything that's a routine coping mechanism to prevent you from having to deal with your stuff. So if you find yourself turning to something rather than dealing with something, guess what? And you do that over and over, that's, that's called an addiction. An addiction is simply this. It's a sinful strategy to cope with the dysfunction in being apart from God. Addiction is a sinful strategy. A sinful strategy. As we go through this list, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know where you find yourself on this list, if you find yourself at all, uh, but uh, I'm willing to bet there's something that's standing out at you. And I want you to know, though, that you're not alone. First service, someone came up to me and said, Frank, I I can't believe what you shared this morning. Um, When I was a kid, my family was murdered, and the last thing I said to my mom was, leave me alone. We're not alone. We may feel alone, but we're not. We're not. And the good news is, is that the story doesn't stop here. We don't have to be stuck between Friday and Sunday. Sunday is coming, and we can live in Sunday. And so the good news is, we don't have to stay here. There is good news. We were created to live a life of blessing out of which everything flows, and we can, because our story, our story, our blessing is redeemed through Jesus Christ. In Paul's letter to the Galatians, he writes this, but Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on the tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Jesus came to restore blessing by taking on the curse of sin so that we can once again live a life of blessing. Notice how I didn't say that Frank came to restore blessing, or Pastor Brandon, or Sarah, or Kathy, or John, or Ray. Fill your name in the blank. The truth is, you can't, he can. Jesus came to restore blessing. What happened when we tried to receive blessing apart from God? Remember? Yeah, we broke the world. So what makes us think that we can actually fix it on our own? We simply cannot. If you want to live a blessing, there needs to be change, and that change cannot be done apart from Jesus Christ. Jesus was punished so that we can be forgiven. Jesus was wounded so that we can be healed. Jesus was made sin with our sinfulness so that we might become righteous with his righteousness. Jesus died our death so that we can share in his life. Jesus became poor so that we can share in his riches. Jesus bore our shame so that we may take part in his glory. Jesus endured our rejection so we can receive acceptance as children of God. Jesus became a curse so that we can receive his blessing. If that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what will. There is good news. We don't have to live in the curse. We don't have to. We can receive blessing because of Jesus Christ but we cannot do it apart from him. We cannot. In the Gospel of Luke, we read this. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. An evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. So the question this morning is, what are you producing? Is it a life of cursing or is it a life of blessing? Maybe you need to steer the ship a little bit of a different direction. So if you want to change the direction of your life, you need to start by changing the declaration of your heart. Let me say that again. If you want to change the direction of your life, it starts by changing the declaration of your heart. We've been redeemed through Jesus, not only to enjoy blessing, but also that we can pass it on to others. 
Remember, this idea of blessing is to speak intention or favor of God over someone. The projection of good into the life of another. Blessing and cursing are simply ways that we treat people. And the way we treat others is what? It's a reflection of our hearts. So this morning, what we're going to do with the remainder of our time is we're going to take a look at four ways that we can have a life of blessing in a way that we can bless others. Number one is this, words. Now I want you to notice, words, cutting language was also on the other list. What a powerful tool it is. A little fun fact for you though this morning. The average human spends about one-fifth of their life communicating. One-fifth. Again, I have, I have no idea how this uh, study was done. I have no idea how they quantify it, but I read it in a couple of spots. Uh, so I'm going to take it for what it is, and we're going to roll with it. One-fifth of your life is spent communicating. One-fifth. We are created to communicate in a community by a God who communicates. I want you to think about that for a second. We were created in the image of God to communicate. God created our voice. He gave us the ability to write. He gave us the ability to communicate. And he created us in his image, in his perfect image. It's a good thing. Sadly, because of the fracture in the world, we use it in a bad way. Studies have shown that an average adult writes or speaks approximately 15,000 to 20,000 words a day. That's a lot. There's been some studies out there uh, that, uh, or things that we've read anyway that we can't find studies for that say women speak three times more than men. Uh, all the reading and research that I've done has been praying for this message says that that is simply not true. Men and women equally talkative. Equally talkative. Maybe some a little more than others, vice versa. But generally speaking, 15,000 to 20,000 words a day. That's about 100 pages of a paperback book, give or take, a day, which means you write approximately three books a week, which means you write about 150 books a year, which means you fill a library over your lifetime. What is the story your library tells? Think about that. What is your library sharing with the world? If someone was to pick up and read the book you wrote this week, is it of blessing or is it of cursing? I find we use words carelessly because we underestimate their power. As a kid on the playground, sticks and stones. Man, whoever, whoever came up with that. That's what we say to a kid because we want them to feel better, but the reality is, Man, my bruised knee, I don't remember the one that I got hurt with when I was on the playground, but I remember what my teacher said to me, both the bad and the good. Sticks and stones. Words are extremely powerful. God said, and it was. We see this over and over again throughout the Bible, and even more so in our own lives. We can recall the conversations that tore us down, and we can also recall the conversations that bring us back up. However, sometimes the ones that tear us down tend to resonate a little bit more. Paul writes in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, he says, Do not use foul or abusive language. Let everything, everything, not some, everything. I would circle that with a sharpie if I could right now. You say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. I'm not suggesting that you go around providing false compliments. Not what I'm saying. No one should walk up to me today and be like, Frank, you look skinny. I don't. I get it. That's okay. You don't have to be false. All right? I'm not asking you to lie. I'm not asking you to bless people with lies, but rather I'm suggesting that you do have the ability to speak power, the power of God, into their lives. Your words have the ability to bring healing. Your words provide you with an opportunity to share hope 
in love, in joy, in peace. If you were to scroll through your Facebook posts, your emails, all the comments you make on other people's posts, those are often worse. If you were to listen in on past conversations, if you were to go back and to reread the library of your life, if you were to go through page by page, would you say that your speech, that your words are good and helpful as encouragement? What is intended to be powerfully good can become powerfully bad without intentionality. You're going to fill a library of books with your words. So let's be intentional with the one-fifth of our life that we choose to communicate. Let's be intentional. Let's be intentional. Another way that we can bless others is through noticing. I, I love this idea that we can bless others through the simple act of noticing. Yet sadly, we live in a world that tends to not notice much. We tend to live in a world where we treat people not as people, but as a commodity. As a means to an end. If they don't serve a purpose, we simply don't pay attention. We're so focused and driven that we often fail to realize the immense value that they bring into the world. We fail to realize the value of the other. Just a couple of days ago, I was having coffee with a dear friend. And uh, we sat for a long time. We were at Seven Stars Bakery in Rumford. I'm saying this specifically because if you've ever been there, it's a, uh, it's a very busy cafe, but it is a very small cafe. Um, there was probably 20 to 30 people sitting around us. We had to wait a little while uh, so that we could actually find a spot to sit and have a conversation. And there was about, like I said, 20 or 30 people between where we were sitting and uh, this set of double doors. And about halfway through a conversation where there were lots of blessing words, by the way, it was really cool. Um, I don't know how God did that this week, but he did. Um, about halfway through a conversation, uh, out of the corner of my eye, I see a woman walk up to the building through the big glass uh, storefront uh, to these double doors, and she has a double-wide stroller. If you've ever seen a mom with a double-wide stroller, man, she's... She's a gift from God, but it's not easy to get into a place, right? And, and so there's a couple people nodding with some twins, right? Like, it's hard. And, and so she's opening the door, and she's trying to get the stroller in there, but one wheel gets caught on the other door, and now one door is closing on her, and she's caught, and it was, it was a disaster. It was a disaster. It was like out of a movie. And um, so she's trying, and she tries again, and all of a sudden I get up, and I, and I go over, and I help her. And I'm not saying this because I want to make myself look good, what I'm saying is that I passed 20 to 30 people that didn't even notice her. They were so consumed in the book they were reading or the coffee they were drinking or the picture they were taking of their coffee for Instagram because that's oh so important. They were so, uh, so, so enveloped in the conversation that they were having that there was no one else around them. And there is a time and a place for that. But let me tell you what, we got to notice people. She's a person. She's a person. She matters. Lives matter. And, and so we need to notice people. And, and, and like I said, I'm not sharing this to look good, but I, I, I'll admit, and I'm, I don't want to be presumptuous, but I would say more often than not, we tend to be more of the 20 to 30, don't we? Even as I brought the stroller in with her and I helped, and she had these two beautiful infant girls, she was just trying to get some reprieve from a sleepless night. She needed some coffee. I understand the struggle. It's real. Even as we get in, if you've ever been there, you see there's all these little tables 
and it's cluttered, and there was no way this stroller was getting through. So even as we get in there, she's standing there with a stroller, and I'm standing there with her, and I have to actually tap on shoulders and say, excuse me, would you mind just moving just a little bit so this nice woman can get through and have a cup of coffee? She hasn't slept in a month. (laughs) For the love of God, something may happen to these children if she does not get this coffee, so let's get this woman some coffee. But I, I literally tapped a gentleman on his shoulder, and he looked like so aggravated with me that I was like, hey, there's someone else here. Man, we got to notice people. We can bless people through words and we can bless people through noticing. And if we want to be a blessing with others, it, it, it starts there. Sometimes all it takes is a quick note. A short text. Maybe just acknowledgement of their presence when you walk into a room. Noticing a haircut. Noticing their smile. Noticing a frown. It's remembering the big project at work and then asking them about it. It's lending a hand without them asking for help because you know that they need it, because you took time to notice. It's showing up in a hospital room unannounced. It's laying down your own needs and desires and valuing others as greater than yourself. Can you only imagine if as the church we took time to notice people? Can you imagine? Can you imagine the difference in our homes, in our schools, in our communities, in our workplaces if we chose as the church God's plan A to actually notice people the way that Jesus did? I want to encourage you this week to take some time to notice the people around you. Take a napkin, take a note card, take a rip the bulletin in half, whatever you got to do. I don't even you can use one of the Easter invites if you need to. Put it in your pocket. When you have a conversation with someone, take down a couple notes. Don't do it during the conversation. That's a little weird. Wait until after. But after that conversation, like write down their name. Write down what's going on in their lives. Pray for them. Follow up with a text or an email or a phone call, heaven forbid, and just say, hey, listen, I wanted you to know that I was thinking about you and I noticed you. And you had a big project this week, and I just, I was excited for you, and I want to know how it went. Man, what a way to make someone feel loved and valued and noticed. Maybe you could do this with your kids. Grab a dry erase marker. I'll get them for you if we need to. Grab a dry erase marker and write a note on a mirror or on a window. Write a a note with a Sharpie on a napkin. Just don't mix up the two. You'll be really angry that you wrote a note on a mirror with a Sharpie. But, But write a note that says, hey, and fill in your kid's name. Hey, Emma, that's one of my daughters. I just wanted you to know that I noticed how you how you helped your friend or how you took in the barrels without asking. Or I noticed how you loved your little brother in a moment where he was unlovable. Way to go. That was really cool. I'm so proud of you. I want you to know that I love you. You want to speak life into someone? Try doing that. Try doing that. Now I'm getting excited thinking about it. A third way we can bless others is empowering. Man, I, I love this idea, but it is, I can't speak for you, but for me, this is probably one of the hardest because it involves us having to let go control. And I don't know about you, but... uh <laughs> I struggle with that a little bit. 
When you empower someone, though, what you're doing is you're helping them realize their ability and their potential beyond you. You're providing them with an opportunity to grow, and you're providing them an opportunity to flourish. Whether it's you letting your kids walk home from school, whether it's giving your teen the keys to the car, uh, whether you're letting an employee uh, run with a new idea, or you're uh, maybe encouraging a colleague on a project they're working on, or simply encouraging a friend uh, to take a next step in something. Empowering others is making an investment in them and not you, but I, I want you to hear this. When we empower someone for the purpose of our own benefit, that's not empowering. That's not. That is poor leadership. When, when you're using someone as a means to an end, that is not empowering. I am not empowering Emma to walk home from school so I can avoid sitting in a line of 400 cars Monday through Friday at 3.30 in the afternoon. That's not empowering. That's establishing something for her to do that benefits me. Empowering... Empowering is when you invest in someone for their benefit, not for yours. It doesn't mean that we stop caring. It doesn't mean that we stop investing. It doesn't mean that we stop coaching. All it simply means is that what happens next is not up to us, and there's no benefit to us if they flourish. We're, we're simply, or maybe there's a benefit, but that's not, that's not our motivation. You see, the motivation is the key behind this. Some of the greatest examples of empowering leadership are found in God's Word specifically with Jesus and his ragtag group of disciples. If you ever look at this, the disciples in the New Testament, you see the disciples were not exactly the, like the best team. They weren't the patriots, okay? Um, and some of you are like, wow, the patriots, you know, like they somehow, no. Like they, were, they weren't the bad news bears. Uh, the disciples were more like the bad news bears. Um, they were not uh, the Red Sox pre-2004 or whatever. Like they were just, they weren't great <laughs> at what they do. But yet Jesus uses them. He chooses them specifically, and he empowers them. And as I think about this, I think a lot about Peter, poor guy. Uh, he gets written a lot, uh, a lot about in the New Testament, and uh, specifically how he messes up, a lot. But over and over, what does Jesus do? He empowers him. Over and over. Like, seriously, if you go through the Gospels, and you look at the life of Peter and look at all the things that he jacked up along the way, like, Jesus, like, time for number two, right? Like, just move someone else in. But no, he doesn't. He continues to empower him. Why? Why does Jesus do this? It certainly is not because Jesus needs Peter. Let's make that clear. Jesus' mission is not dependent on Peter, but Peter is fully dependent on Jesus. There is something that Jesus has to offer Peter that Peter can't get himself. And when we empower others, we're investing in someone. We're giving something to someone, often authority, responsibility, whatever it may be. We're giving something to someone that they can't take on their own. But it's ours to give. What an amazing picture that is. What an amazing picture it is to do that. It's a gift that only you can give. And lastly, we bless others, not through word, just words, noticing, empowering, but also serving. Now this is a pretty straightforward thought, but it's often one I think we overlook. I find myself looking at the ministry of Jesus as I go through the Gospels, simply in awe of all that he's able to accomplish. Blown away at how he, how he uses words and how he, he notices and how he empowers and how he serves 
I often find myself wishing that I could have that same sort of impact, not for my glory, but for God's. But, but you know what? I pray for the ministry of Jesus, but I don't pray that I may live the life like Jesus lived. Being completely vulnerable with you right now. If you want to have the ministry of Jesus, you need to start living like Jesus. And Jesus served. No matter the cost, He served. Over and over and over and over again, uh, we see Jesus serving others, not with selfish ambition, but rather in love, in humility, washing the disciples' feet, serving. When we serve others, it's a way to express gratitude for what Jesus has done. It's the way, it also provides us a way to share the love and the hope of Jesus with others. Not only do we grow deeper in faith as we serve, we allow others to experience the love of God so that they may grow deeper in faith as well. 613 laws in the Old Testament. 613. Jesus boils it down to two. He says, love God and love others. It's really that simple. Love God and love others. And one of the greatest ways we can love is to serve. Not out of selfish ambition, but in humility. Serve God and serve others. There are opportunities all over the place for you to serve. You can do it at home. Maybe it's in loading the dishwasher. Or maybe it's bringing the barrels in. Maybe you could serve others by doing a load of laundry. Maybe you can help your kids with their chores rather than dictate that they do it while you watch a show. There's opportunities to serve everywhere. You can serve at home. You can serve at school. You can serve at work. There's opportunities here to serve at church. And, and, and so if you're not actively living a life of serving, I really want to encourage you right now to take a next step in that. Whatever that looks like. In the seat pocket in front of you, you'll find these little cards that say next steps across the top of them. Take a moment and fill one out whether it's serving here at church in some sort of missional activity or at home or school or work, whatever it is, fill that card out and we would be more than happy to follow up with you and help you figure that out. Help you discover ways that you can live a life that models what Jesus does. We want to help you with that. You see, church, we don't have to get stuck in Friday. We don't have to be stuck in a world that's filled with cursing. We have the ability to live a life of blessing out of which everything flows. We can bless others through words and through noticing and through empowering and through serving. So as we close this morning, would you know it's easy to get stuck in a rhythm of sin, in cutting language and in wounding and in lying. It's easy to get stuck with idols and with addiction, but that's not the life we were created to live. There's an invitation from Jesus calling out to you saying, hey, you don't have to stay here. I came and I've redeemed that. I've redeemed the curse of sin so that you can live a life of blessing. You don't have to stay in Friday. You don't have to stay in Saturday. Thank God He resurrected from the grave. You can enjoy Sunday. You can live a life of blessing, but all you have to do is receive it. All you have to do is receive it. And so this morning, as, as we bring the service to a close, if you have any desire whatsoever to, to be the person God created you to be, I want you to know that you can change the direction of your life. But it starts by changing the declaration of your heart.